If it's not health issues that, that leave us searching for answers, it will be something else. Maybe a job loss that leaves you uncertain where your next paycheck will come from. A divorce that leaves you and your family broken. Or maybe you're searching for answers because you can't shake the regret and shame from your past. A sin that was indulged from bitterness, anger, and envy that you've held on to. Or maybe from chances missed to stand up for your faith and share the gospel. Even in a room this size, whether you call yourself a a Christian here today or not, it's certain that, that many of us have felt like the woman or like Jairus. At the end of our rope, uncertain where to turn, uncertain how to fix the problems that we are facing. But thankfully, our passage this morning gives us hope. Because in it, we see that Jesus gets his hands dirty with the problems of the world, giving us what we need and in what in the gospel we are promised. Let me say that again. Jesus gets his hands dirty with the problems of the world, giving us what we need and what in the gospel we are promised. And this is going to be the big idea that we work through as we wake, make our way through our passage this morning. But before we look at, at Jesus getting his hands dirty, it's worthwhile to take a moment to ask just who this Jesus is. This is the very questions that the disciples asked earlier in chapter 8. Um, they asked, who then is this? As I mentioned in uh, the introduction, that these three stories, uh, beginning in verse 22, are showing us that Jesus is Lord. And we're seeing this through his authority over nature, over demons, over disease, and even over death. This Jesus is no ordinary prophet. This isn't just a good teacher or, or simply a miracle worker. This is Christ the Lord, the Son of God. The wind and the waves obey him. Right? This is Christ the Lord who can cast out demons and who can heal the sick and who can raise the dead. Right? Who then is this? <laughs> this is Christ the Lord. And this is the case that, that Luke is making throughout the entire gospel. Beginning in Luke 3 and Luke 4, uh, Luke quotes Old Testament prophecies in reference to Jesus, clearly connecting him with the long-awaited Messiah. In Luke 5, we see that Jesus possesses authority to forgive sins. The Pharisees, in response, they ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? And they are right. And then in Luke 6, Christ claims sovereignty over the Sabbath. Even last week, Jesus tells the demon possessed a a man who who was healed to go back to the community and tell tell them how much God had done for you. And then the man goes back to his community proclaiming how much Jesus had done for him. So who then is this? This is Jesus Christ, the Lord. But Jesus doesn't stand at a distance. Looking at our, our broken world full of seemingly unsolvable problems from up above, but rather he enters into the story himself. He gets his hands dirty with the problems of the world. At Christmas, this is what we celebrate, that light has dawned and that God has entered into our darkened world. And again, today in our text, this is what we see, that Jesus enters into the story. And we see this uh, through the interaction with the two main characters here in our text, the woman who was bleeding and then Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Um, First, we'll take a look at, at the woman who was bleeding. I mean, these verses were told that she had a discharge of blood, and for 12 years she was seeking to be healed of her condition. But she ends up spending all of her money, all of her resources on doctors and the like, trying to find a cure. But 12 years later, she finds herself still not cured. She's no better. 
When we first read this, maybe the gravity of the situation doesn't, doesn't quite hit. But of course, the story takes place 2,000 years ago. Um, no plumbing, no running water, uh, no soap, or, or no easy way to clean. But more significant than that is that Israel had, had purification laws. These were given to them by God, and part of their purpose was to limit the spread of disease amongst the people of Israel. This meant for the woman who was bleeding that she was ceremonially unclean. She wasn't allowed in the temple. In fact, if anyone else touched her, they too would be unclean for a period of time. Whatever status she may have had is completely lost, and whatever reputation totally ruined. Everything that was important to her, her health, her money, her status, her community, was all gone. Not for a month, not for 12 months, but for 12 whole years. The woman who was bleeding was sick, she was sad, and she was alone. She was cast out, rejected, with no hope of healing. On the other hand, though, we have Jairus, the the ruler of the synagogue. Jairus was clearly a well-known person in the community as the ruler of the synagogue. But surprisingly, he comes to Jesus, falling at his feet begging Jesus to come to his house and heal his 12-year-old daughter who was dying. And this was surprising because Jairus was a, a religious leader. Under normal circumstances, they, they, they tried to have nothing to do with Jesus, or if they did, they were going after him, trying to trap him and get rid of him. He was a threat to their power, and, and their hearts were too hard to admit that this Jesus was the Lord, the long-awaited Messiah. It was out of the ordinary for a proud religious ruler to approach Jesus in this way. Right, Jairus, rather than having it all together, he was falling apart. Rather than being in charge, his world was spinning out of control. And as hard as he tried, there was nothing he could do about it. His 12-year-old daughter was dying. We see some pretty stark differences then between Jairus and the woman. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue, where the woman wasn't even allowed in the synagogue because she was ceremonially unclean. Jairus is a name that everyone in the community would have known, where the woman, in her story, she's not even given a name. Jairus would have been well-respected and looked up to. The woman was rejected, outcast, isolated, and looked down on. But both of them do have something in common, and that's that they're desperate. (laughs) The problems of life seem unsolvable, Their situations are dire and dark. See, whether rich or poor, young or old, well-respected or not respected, sin and its consequences know no bounds. All of us, regardless of our income level, our age, our status, we can't escape the problems of evil and suffering in our world and in our hearts today. Problems that, that, that at first seem unsolvable. But in Jesus, we have a God who gets his hands dirty with the problems of the world. In verse 44, we're told the woman touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Her touch should have made Jesus unclean according to purity laws, but instead she's healed instantly. Jesus, uh, he perceives that that power had gone out, and he asks, who touched me? And Peter says, Master, like the crowds, they're pressing in on you. As if to say, what do you mean, who touched me? Uh, of course, there was a significant amount of people who touched him because the crowds were so tight. But the woman saw that, that she was not hidden. 
And so she comes trembling, falling down before Jesus and admits that she had touched him and that she had been healed. Jesus then calls her daughter, says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus, with just a touch of his outer garment, heals the woman from a problem that she has had overtaken her life for the past 12 years. Right, in just one touch, this woman is healed from far more than simply bleeding. She's given her life back. But not everyone is, is as happy about this healing. Because of this interruption, because of Jesus' delay, Jairus' daughter is now dead. Jesus taking too long to get there means Jairus' dying daughter has become a dead daughter. But Jesus does tell him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. So they go to Jairus' house, and they arrive there, and then Jesus enters in with Peter, uh, John, and James, and then Jairus and his wife. And even though those outside, uh, you'll notice in the passage, they're laughing, they're mocking Jesus. He goes in, he takes the daughter by the hand, and says, child, arise. And with his word, her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Touching a dead body is another thing that makes someone ceremonially unclean. But instead, Jesus, through his power and through his word, brings the daughter back to life. Because Jesus gets his hands dirty with the problems of the world, giving us what we need and what in the gospel we are promised. Regardless of who you are here today, how big or small your problems may seem, In Christ, we find all that we need. We find the answer to our deepest problems of our lives and the deepest questions of our hearts. And the good news of the gospel is that hope and healing are available to anyone who will come to Christ in faith. We see the woman and Jairus, they come to Jesus in different ways, but they both come in faith. The woman knows if she can only get a touch, then maybe she'll be healed. Jairus, out of options, he knows that if anyone can heal his daughter, it would be Jesus. And so they break through the crowd and come to Christ. To be honest, uh, commentators, they they kind of argue whether whether each of these characters are showing strong or weak faith. But the truth is the, the amount of faith that they or we possess is not as important as the object of our faith. I could have a a really strong faith that I'll be able to walk across a frozen lake. But if that ice is thin, no amount of faith will keep me from falling through. But I could approach a lake timidly, uncertain, slowly crawling across on my hands and knees, maybe, maybe even too afraid to look up, my face buried in the ground. But if that ice is thick and strong, no matter how slow I go, I'll make it to the other side. What is the object of your faith? Is it the goodness of humanity? Maybe the hope of science? The pleasures of our world? Maybe it's in yourself? Or is it in Christ? Christ calls us to come to him in faith, however weak or frail it may seem. And the good news is, as John Calvin writes, that God deals kindly and gently with his people. He accepts their faith, though imperfect and weak. See, Christ is merciful and gracious when dealing with his people. 
And so what does it mean to come in faith like Jairus and the woman who was bleeding? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, a 17th century document that, that our denomination believes accurately describes and explains what the Bible teaches, it provides a concise and helpful response to the question of what faith in Christ is. The Catechism answers, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. In other words, faith means our mind must grasp the things about Christ that we're told in Scripture, and our hearts must rest upon him as the perfect Savior. In one sense, to realize Christ is the answer to all of our unsolvable problems. But we are still left with one question. What does it mean that in Christ, even if our faith is weak and we come to him, that we can receive healing and wholeness and forgiveness? Obviously, there are people even in in this church with ailments and and issues and thorns that God hasn't yet removed. Maybe you're tempted to ask the question, I've come to Jesus, yet why hasn't Jesus healed me? Why does my unsolvable problem remain? Why do I continue to suffer? Well, Jesus, she says, or he says to the woman in verse 48, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And ultimately, his answer to us is the same. If we'll come to him by faith. However, our deepest disease is different than we may think. We need healing for our sin-sick soul. One commentator writes, This woman's physical healing and Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead illustrates for us the spiritual healing that Jesus performs in all who trust and follow him. These miraculous healings are physical realities portraying a spiritual one, the forgiveness of sins for those who would otherwise perish. Right, does Jesus want to heal you? Yes, and it's assured, it's promised in the gospel. Right, 1 Peter 2 says, by his wounds you have been healed. Right, the reality is at the cross, Jesus not only gets his hands dirty, (laughs) he gives his life his body, his blood. He takes sin upon himself so that we can be healed and made clean. Christ, he humbled himself, taking the very form of a servant, and though perfectly innocent, was ultimately cast out, rejected, and killed. Why? The prophet Isaiah, as we already read this morning, tells us he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus gets his hands dirty. He gives his life so that we can be made clean and brought into the family of God. Through the woman and through Jairus' daughter, and ultimately through Christ's resurrection, we get a glimpse of our eternal future, a final healing through the perfect restoration of body, mind, and soul, when Jesus returns and renews all things. What God has done in miracles past, (laughs) including through the miracles that we've looked at in our text today, he will do in our heavenly future. The commentator, uh, they go on to say this, that Jesus chooses to heal the sick woman and raise Jairus's daughter physically. And Jesus can choose to heal you too, right now, uh, tomorrow, several years, or in the life to come. Right? He can heal and he does heal. Um, cancer cells vanquish without logical explanation. 
Um, lifeless marriages are restored. Um, a couple struggling with infertility bears a child. So the question for us then is, will we come to him boldly and persistently? Will we trust in him for such things? Will we trust him to do what's best according to his wisdom and timing, not ours? We pray your kingdom come, your will be done in the Lord's prayer. And will we let his glory be displayed in us, whether or not our requests are granted? Does Jesus want to heal you? In this lifetime, it's possible. Like the woman in Jairus from our story, we're free to come to him with fearful expectancy, believing he can, knowing he ultimately will, and peacefully trusting him no matter the outcome. Jesus gets his hands dirty with the problems of the world, giving us what we need and what in the gospel we are promised. We live in a world of seemingly unsolvable problems. There are many in our city, in our families, uh, in our workplaces, who are struggling, who are hurting, who are searching for answers to their seemingly unsolvable problems. Like the woman, they search and search and search, but to no avail. Maybe that's your story. But as we sang earlier in Psalm 124, our help has come in the name of the Lord, the one who formed all the earth and the sky. Behold, he comes to destroy the chains of death and raise us up to life. See, in Christ we have hope for the hopeless, life for the lifeless, joy for the joyless, forgiveness for those entangled in sin. And now, if you're a Christian here today, we're called to proclaim this good news of the hope that we have. We're called to love God and to love our neighbor. We're called to serve him in word and in deed. We're called to bear each other's burdens as we wait for Christ to come again. Like Christ, as Christians, we're called to get our hands dirty in the problems of the world, knowing there's nothing we can do to solve these problems on our own, but knowing the one who can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that in Christ we have a God who enters into the problems of our world. Help us, we pray, to trust in you when life seems overwhelming, when problems seem unsolvable. And give us a faith in you that is seaworthy, strong enough to withstand the trouble and trials that are sure to come. We need your help. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.